Welcome to the Golf Betting System Podcast 77. This episode covers the Charles Frob Challenge on the PGA Tour and the Made in Denmark on the European Tour. This podcast is for listeners of 18 and above. I'm Steve Bamford, PGA Tour Previewer at Golf Betting System, and with me we have European Tour expert Paul Williams and podcast pundit Barry O'Hanrahan. Good morning, chaps. Morning, guys. Morning, guys. Golfbettingsystem.co.uk is our website. Naturally, we're available on social media. You can join our Golf Betting System Facebook group. The link is available in the description box. Our Twitter handles: I'm at Bamford Golf. Paul is at Golf Betting. Barry is at A Good Talk Golf. Look out for the Golf Betting System YouTube channel where I present the Golf Betting Show every week. I've just released the Charles Swab Challenge one. Uh, this podcast is available on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Audio Boom, and of course YouTube. Now, as I always say at this point, uh, subscribe and follow the podcast. It's our currency, effectively, in terms of rating and reviewing us on iTunes. And if you can do that, naturally, I will read them out at the start of next week's show. Leave your name in the review so you can read it out on the podcast. And a few of you have done that. So I've got a couple of reviews to just quickly read through. First one is from Golf Punt in Australia. Thank you, Golf Punt. Uh, he's given us five stars. Love the pod. Great effort and knowledge goes into the previews. Time which normal punters will find difficult to find. Presented in a very listenable way that makes for an enjoyable hour every week. If you like a punt on the golf, this is a must. Great stuff. So that's from Golf Punt in Australia. Thank you for that. We've also got five stars. This one's for Miranda. Toby Miranda in the UK, uh, five stars, top podcast with great in-depth analysis. Microphones could do with being turned up sometimes, but definitely worth a listen. And Paul is always there to help help you out with DraftKings. So that's from Toby. Thank you for that as well. Yeah, thanks, guys. Very nice. Thanks a lot. Cheers, guys. Now, we've got two events this week. Uh, made in Denmark on the European Tour, which returns to the Himalayan Golf Course, which I know um, a lot of European Tour um, followers really like this tournament. And we've got the Charles Fob Challenge over on the PGA Tour, which many people are probably going, what the hell's that? It's a new title sponsor, effectively, for the Colonial Invitational event, which takes place down in Fort Worth in Texas. So uh, a very established tournament, that one. Before we move on to those two, shall we talk quickly PGA Championship? Mm. I think one of the um, things that I've put at the very top end of my preview this week is the fact that Brooks Kepka has won four of his last eight majors. And that has only ever been equaled by Ben Hogan, Jack Nicklaus, and Tiger Woods. So that's pretty esteemed company, don't you think? It's very, very... Aside from the very impressive way that he played, um, well, certainly the first three uh, three days, three and a half days, maybe. Um, but yes, that stat itself is incredibly impressive. And the fact that he's now defended both the US Open and the US PGA Championship uh, over that stretch of four wins is... Again, equally impressive. Not just winning these events, but defending them as well is um, is a bit of a feat. Um, he's a big-time player, isn't he, Bruce Kepka? Big-time player. The other thing that impressed me about the 
the other majors he didn't win in that stretch is that in three of them, I think he was inside the top 13. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's, he's a factor in every major he enters yeah. right now. And it's, um, it's across a, a you know, a, an array of different co- courses, different conditions. It's, mm-hmm. he's, uh, there's no weakness in the game and he's got a clearly extremely mental, uh, strong mental game. I mean, and is convinced that his mental game is stronger than the rest of them. And, uh, you know, the evidence points to that being true. It's uh, it's really, really impressive. I, I honestly thought it was going to be an extremely boring Sunday. Yeah. And No, I was I, on I him, so that, probably... that was never going to be the case. It was always <laughs> going to get close because I'd actually backed him. I mean, he, he even avoided yeah. my curse, so he must be very, very strong. But, I mean, I'm I going just, back to 2014, um, Pinehurst, yeah. He finished fourth. So, you know, we're talking nine years ago, uh, five years ago. Mm. And like you said, Barry, he's had a fifth at uh, fifth and a fourth at the PGA Championships in 15 and 16. He's had a sixth at the Open Championship in 2017. Second at the Masters this year. You know, he's just an, he's in a machine, isn't he, at the majors? And he, he's, it's, yeah. it's all about that internal belief, isn't it? He knows he's going there um, without any fear. It's just, he's going there, playing his game. He's got his game centred around those major championships. He peaks for those championships. And it's 100% focus on winning every one that he, he, he enters. It's, it's just a major performer. Very, very impressive. And, and well done, Steve, for picking him up. I know we had a long discussion um, on the podcast or podcasts over the last week or so about how to try and differentiate between the players at the top end of the uh, market. Mm. And, um, you know, props to you for picking um, and sticking to your guns and picking Brooks as the as the one of the four to, to get the job done. And um, he did that um, with aplomb. So, those, con- those conversion top five each way and win conversion rates. They kind of worked out in the end, didn't they? Tiger mm. was clearly mentally fatigued and hasn't got over that huge victory at the Masters yet and hasn't done any practice. Um, or not a, not a great deal. So then it became a shootout between DJ and Brooks. And just when, and just when the tide had turned and DJ was one shot behind and the whole crowd were behind him, he started spraying it everywhere. He, and, and Brooks thought, just kind of had to really make a... He just made pars, didn't he, from that point, And all of a sudden, the lead was three on the final tee again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hang on a second. Hang on. D, like, I think DJ was... Let's say, I think he was a little bit unlucky on the 16th. If you look at the... I watched the replay of that shot a few times. He absolutely nutted that ball. And it just pierced right through the wind and went... Okay, six, seven yards long mm. on the line he wanted, but that's because he absolutely mm. hit a pure shot. And uh, look, another day the wind kind of catches that a little bit and stalls it, and he and he lands on the green. And uh, he played he played a great recovery shot from there and gave himself a chance to put, uh, which just went over yeah. the edge. And I think I think I mean he knew at that stage he couldn't make a bogey. He had to post eight under. Mm. And I think that kind of gr- that took the wind out of his sails as soon as he made that bogey because he knows he needs to birdie either seventeen or eighteen, 
and uh, then you're kind of chasing a bit. Look, uh, although, you know, he got himself into that position and then he fell out. So it is, uh, it's another failing for DJ. And what was it? He's got the, the grand slam of second place finishes now in all the majors. <laughs> they were saying, yeah, that, that must irk him, like, you know, uh, a lot. So it was interesting to it's see. It's amazing. Um, Johnson, Spieth, and Matt Kuchar backed back door to top ten, didn't he? And as we know from our predictor stats, they always end up in the top three for win play. Mm. And it was only DJ that was actually well under par in that final round for the for the late starters, wasn't it? Yeah, it was tough until until the uh, sixteenth. Yeah. It was a tough stretch coming home. Oh, it was awful. It? it was that was some of the hardest major championship golf I've seen with with wind mm. conditions alloyed with a course that was firming up, or greens that were certainly firming up, and rough that was virtually unplayable. It was. I, yeah. think, I thought it was a very interesting, uh, very. I, I, the, I, I've seen quite a lot of um, feedback saying that the course was set up in a bad, negative way, but I thought it was quite good. I thought it was quite enjoyable. Did you? Yeah, I, I didn't. I suppose enjoy it helps it. when you get the winner, doesn't it? But I saw I saw some feedback from uh, from Fooch, um Rose's caddy, saying that one of the things that he thought was was wrong was the fact that they'd surrounded the bunkers with thick fescue, so mm. that that balls yeah. weren't finding the sand. They were actually finding the fescue before they reached the sand. So that's a fair point, clearly. Yeah, it would be interesting to see. Um, I've heard Andy Johnson, the fried egg, talk about those greens have shrunk over the years. So the bunkers are removed from the greens now. Mm-hmm. So if you had, like, say, shaved back the rough around the greens yeah. or had the greens big enough that the bunkers were right on the edges of them, mm-hmm. uh, it would be interesting to see that. I was I was a bit like, I'm all for people being, you know, receiving a punishment for missing a fairy, but you've got, you know, times 22 23 yard wide fairways and then absolutely brutal rough that only a couple of the very strongest lads seem to be able to muscle the ball out with any kind of uh, consistency the rest of the time guys were hacking it out 30 40 yards and then having to yeah. get up and down from anywhere anywhere between 70 and 130 yards and i didn't really find that too interesting it's just uh you're not giving an opportunity for somebody to pull off a miraculous escape shot or a miraculous recovery from a, a difficult situation in the rough, especially with those narrow entrances to the greens. Um, I found it uh, a little bit lacking in, in, in excitement in that respect. So it felt like an old style US Open. Yeah, yeah. And it, it did feel it did, more, yeah. like a, more like a US Open. It, and I, I, it was bomb and gouge in the end, wasn't it? Complete bomb and gouge golf course. Well, if you were long enough, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I watched. Um, I watched a lot of the first round. Well, when, you, with, when you've got um, Luke List finishing in the top seven, it's bomb and gouge, isn't it? <laughs> you know what I mean. I watched a lot of the first round with, all, um, on the on the featured groups where they had um, Francesco Molinari there, and, and Molinari knew that the course was too long for when he missed a fairway, he wasn't going to attempt to make the green. So every time he was missing a fairway, he was just chopping out and then trying to wedge it in. Same with Tiger. And, well, yeah, and on the say, first hole, the tenth, he he was two hundred yards from the pin in the rough, and he just chopped it out. Hmm. And that was an eye opener from the outset. I mean, that was yeah. Tiger Woods. Clearly, yeah. he's got back issues, but in normal circumstances, he 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 wouldn't be paying that level of respect. Well, no, they've obviously done their practice rounds. They've looked at it. They've they've put themselves in those positions and said, well, 
if I'm 200 yards out and I'm in the rough, I'm not going to attempt to go for it. I cannot mm. reach the green. It's it's more dangerous to do that than to uh, to to chop it out and try and you know take your chances from 900 yards. Yeah, well, especially some of the positions you could have gotten yourself into around the greens if you did hit it like that 170. You know, you, you could be short sided playing over a bunker to a downslope green and. Yeah. Whereas if they have a wedge in their hands from 90, yards, they're going to fancy their chances of putting that within 10 feet and then, you know, try and make the putt from there. I don't know. It felt, uh, it was kind of boring to me. Um, I don't like seeing, I like seeing punishment for bad shots, but there was like double punishment there. Mm-hmm. You needed to be super long. So you've eliminated most of the field already and in who could theoretically win that tournament, narrow fairways and brutal punishment for missing them. Um, there was just no chance for, fun or interesting recovery shots and uh, I think that especially ones that would have tempted you know if guys were tempted into taking on a recovery shot from missing the fairway if the green complexes were a little bit more interesting I guess in terms of runoffs they're risking causing themselves more damage by not pulling off the recovery shot mm-hmm. so what they're going to do for the um, the 2024 Ryder Cup then because that course is not going to be set up like that for the 2024. It, uh, they, they must have an army of strimmers out there starting to cut it all back now. They'll widen. In preparation. They'll widen the fairways a bit, I'd say. <laughs> Do you think? Well, that's the point, isn't it? There isn't a drivable par four. You've got some very, very stern par threes. Mm. Cl- they'll, you would assume they'll change it to the 71 format that we've seen at the Barclays, where they'll change that seventh to a par five, the 524-yard yeah, mark. yeah. So that, that's about all they can do, isn't it? And, and clearly get rid of the rough. Yeah, well, the rough can't be anything yeah. like it is or, or was over the, over the last week. It just, That and just will not see, suit the average American Ryder Cup player's game. It will play no. more into the hands of the, of the the European team. And that clearly isn't what home advantage is about in the Ryder Cup. How do we fall... Yeah, and the other thing with the Ryder Cup... Will, be clearly the New Yorker's um, reaction to uh, receiving the Ryder Cup and, and the European team. Can you imagine the verbals that are going to be going on? <laughs> Beth Page to the European team in that Ryder Cup. I think there's a, a, there's a level of respect that needs to be had and uh, I'm not sure that was demonstrated over the last week. That wasn't even there for the home players. I mean, there was guys shouting in the middle of backswings. Just there was way too many idiots like a the highest concentration of idiots at a golf course or a golf tournament i think i've ever seen yeah it's a shame just before we move on um what do you think about pricing then for pebble beach in a few weeks in terms of kepka um dj tiger woods rory how's it gonna how's it gonna pan out in the market kepka's gonna clearly now be a clear favorite got to be 13 to 2, I saw um, the back end of uh, Sunday. And that's. You know, I haven't looked. Fair point, Paul. Why don't we actually just look at the market? It's. You know, you get this massive reaction to any player who plays well. And quite, no, quite rightly with Brooks, he's going he's gonna to be very well fancied. And um, as you said, he's won four out of the last um, eight majors. He's... Sevens, yeah. Seven to one. DJ, nine to one. Tiger Woods 14 with Rory McIlroy. Hmm. You know, it's, we'll see how the, the market forms over the next 
We're saying we haven't got we haven't got very long until until we're on it, are we? It's only about three. No, weeks. we've got Colonial this week, Muirfield Village next, which will have Tiger Woods playing. Most of the top boys played at because clearly it's Jack Nicholas's event. Mm. Then you've got the RBC Canadian Open that's moved from before the uh, before the old PGA Championship. It's now moved to before the US Open. Right. So you know most of the big names won't play that. So yeah, it'll be next week where you see get to see the top names like Woods. So it'll be interesting to see how Woods plays next week. Because clearly that 14 to 1 won't be hanging around if he top fives, top tens at Muirfield Village in the memorial. That feels a little bit generous for Tiger around Pebble Beach right now. I, like, I, I'd happily just forget what happened there last weekend at, at Beth Page and Tiger's performance there. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't think it's relevant to how he'll play in Pebble Beach. No. I don't think it's the kind of golf course that you're going to... It's going to be nothing like Beth Page. You will not be able to overpower it. That if, it if I mean, mm-hmm. I haven't looked into course conditions yet. That's something we'll do in next week or so. But if that golf course is going to be as firm and as fast that you played in 2010, um, it's going to be more about skill around the greens and, and, and scrambling more than and, and strategy of missing on the right side. I don't think it's going to be a case of brute power, which brings Tiger into the into the into play big style, doesn't it? Mm. You've also got to be an extremely good power putter on those greens that can be like glass for the U.S. Open. Yeah, they can be. They're certainly not as good and as pure as the power greens that we've seen um, at Beth Page Black, which were just out of interest. Good. Br- Brant Schnedeker's under it to one. He does like a bit of pebble, doesn't he, Brant? <laughs> he doesn't mind a US Open either. Because mm. he's such a good scrambler, chipper and putter. Actually eating some fairways at the moment as well. Mm. So that's the kind of way it's going to pan out, we think. Yeah, K- Kepka and DJ on their own at the top with Woods well, you- and McElroy in the, in the slipstream. As you said, there's not a great deal of time between now and then. Um, there's not a great deal of tournaments that the players um, at the top of the market are actually going to play. Many of them are going to play one, probably just one, between now and, uh, and, and now and Pebble Beach. So, you know, the player that the player that wins that, or the player that shows a lot of form, um, clearly they're going to get um, they're going to get backed in. But um, other than that, there's not a great scope for it to change massively. I don't think. And given what we've seen recently, I think Brooks is. Quite rightly, the favourite. How can you dispute that? Given uh, given that he's moved back to world number one, he's won four of the last eight. He's he's a, he's a big time major player. I've got a bet here for you guys: John Rahm with Unibet fourteen to one to win the US Open. <laughs> Twenty five to one, pretty much everywhere else. So I don't know what Unibet know about John Rahm at the US Open than we don't. Mm. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not jumping to back that one. I must say. Right, let's crack on, shall we? Do you want to talk? Uh, start made. Talk make made in Denmark, Paul. Yeah, yeah. Let's start in Europe this week, shall we? So, yeah, um, yeah we're back back to Europe. Um, this this has been rescheduled the made in Denmark because, as you recall, it tend, tended to have been a kind of late August September event, but given the um, Given the schedule changes to the major season and um, the European Tour, we've had a bit of a rejig, um, as we've covered a number of times in the past, um, which has pushed Wentworth back to 
the autumn, because um, this would have been, this week would have been the week that we would have been going to Wentworth for the BMW PGA Championship um, for the European Tour's flagship event. But clearly that's changed because the European Tour didn't want um, there to be a poor attendee list as a result of players being out in New York State. But um, the Made in Denmark's taken up the mantle of this position. And to be fair, it's not a bad um, attendee list. I think the the field is actually pretty strong, given its um, given the kind of the size of the event in general, and the fact it is directly after a major. Um, so you got the likes of Matt Wallace, who's heading up the betting this week. He did incredibly well last week, Matt Wallace. I know we've talked about Wallace a number of times in the past and his potential, but um, I think he demonstrated that better than ever on a world stage last week. Really There's a little impressive. bit of 80 to 1 out there for Pebble Beach for Matt Wallace. Yeah. That's yeah. tempting already, isn't it? He's He's got the mentality to win some big events, as we've said. And His short game was fantastic last yeah. week. Absolutely brilliant. And you've always said to me, you actually see him as a US Open sort. I think he's got that, um, the patience and the, um, mm. you know, he's, he's, you can see he's an incredibly intense player. He's, you know, as a person, he's, he's in, he comes across as an intense and very focused person. Mm. But in terms of grinding out big performances and big, tough major championships, that's absolutely perfect mindset in my view. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was really impressive. And quite rightly, he's gone in as favourite this week. Um, there's a little bit of 10 to 1 out there, but generally between 8 and 9s. Um, he's the defending champion as well, um, although that was held at Silkeborg last year. We're back to Himmerland, which is where the Made in Denmark had previously been played um, prior to that. So aside from Matt Wallace, you've got the likes of Lucas Beregaard, Thomas Peters, Jordan Smith, all been playing well, 16 to 1. Thomas Peters um, caught a few people's, um, or made, made his way into a few people's notebooks, having started so poorly last week at Beth Page and then uh, pulling it around for, for a decent enough top 30 finish. Eric Van Royen, um, he finished, he got backdoor eight, eighth position in the end, didn't he, last week? So that's a big finish for, um, for Van Royen. Um, 18, 20 to 1 out there if you shop around. Uh, Jorge Campillo, Thorbjorn Olsen. Uh, 25s, Victor Dubisson, 28. So um, that's the kind of field we're looking at. Uh, and to say, this event has changed. It's changed location, changed um, changed scheduling. So so last year, um, I picked Matt Wallace up in this event at 41. And if you remember back to, uh, to, to, to the autumn, this was when Wallace had all but... Um, failed to make the Ryder Cup team and um, this was his kind of last chance saloon for him he was playing the, the Made in Denmark he needed to win to give himself even the faintest of chances for for Thomas Bjorn to uh, to take notice of him and to potentially put him into his wild, wild card picks and uh, this is the event where he went absolutely ballistic in the back nine um, making birdie after birdie after birdie birdied the final three holes to make a four man playoff then he birded the first two extra holes to, to win that playoff. Um, and reward backers at 40 to 1, of which I was one of them. So I was very pleased with how Matt played uh, last year. You're not going to get 40 to 1 against about him in uh, a regular European tour event for a long time unless, he's, unless his form drops off a cliff. But that was at Silkeborg, and we've moved back to Himmerland, which is a different uh, track in Denmark. 
So you need to be looking at events that were held between 2014 and 2017 for the Maiden Denmark. There's also a few smaller events that were held on the Nordic Golf League and the Challenge Tour being played here. But predominantly for this week's field, you need to be looking at the 2014 to 2017 Made in Denmark events, which were won by Mark Warren at nine uh, nine under in twenty fourteen, David Horsey at thirteen under in twenty fifteen, uh, Thomas Peters in twenty sixteen at seventeen under, and Julian Suri at nineteen under in twenty seventeen. So you've got a mix of players and a mix of styles as well. Just reading between those those names, which kind of suggests that no single approach to um, to, or no single style of game is going to uh, favour this particular track. And um, the course itself is called the Back Tee Course. Um, on paper, it's a 7,400 yard par 71, but they've played this as a 6,851 yard par 71 for the years that they've played it here. Um, there are five teeing options on each of the tees, and they've played them predominantly from the forward tees. So it's been a, a sub 7,000 yard test which kind of suggests why you've got the likes of David Horsey winning um, alongside the likes of Julian Suri and Thomas Peters, um, simply because the length element um, is negated by the fact that it plays as a relatively short past 71. Um, it's an exposed inland, almost um, in in places, you can almost see some linksy style um, elements to it. Pure bent, grass, pure bent grass greens, and it does tend to favour the better putters, um, and that's kind of where I've gone with some of my um, some of my thinking this week. The main defence is the wind is an exposed track, and we will see quite a bit of the breeze this week. It looks like fifteen to twenty miles an hour. In fact, from when I first started looking at this on Sunday. Um, to the latest forecast this morning, the, the wind appears to be um, gradually picking up. So I think we are likely to see um, sustained wind speeds of 15 to 20 miles an hour on some of the days, particularly around Saturday. Um, and uh, clearly the gusts will be slightly long, slightly stronger than that as well. So um, it's, it's not going to be particularly straightforward. And I don't think they're going to be getting up to a 19 under winning score that we saw from... Uh, from Julian Suri last time we were here, here a couple of years ago. Um, cloudy, showery um, for the first couple of days and sunny, but it's still only going to get up to about 55 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's very kind of Northern European in terms of uh, in, in terms of the way that it's going to set up this week and um, most likely going to favour some of those players who are certainly more experienced on the uh, on the European tour. Now, if you look back at those four events that have been played here, as I say, for me, it pretty much boiled down to who putted best on those um, Bengrass greens. Um, I think you need to be coming into this with either some form with the putter or be generally a good putter who, who can uh, who can pull out a decent putting week uh, when when you get here. And the likes of Bradley Dredge got a cracking record here. And we know Bradley Dredge is one of the best putters um on the European tour, you know, but, but at its best, is one of the best putters in the world, in my view. Um, but yes, yeah, certainly on the European tour. So for me, someone who's been putting well recently, or as I say, a very strong putter, that kind of sits above length, accuracy, green to regulation for me. I think it's more about the, the short game. And particularly if the wind does pick up, because players are going to be missing greens, going to be 
um, there'd be less emphasis on um, on, the, on the long game and more emphasis on uh, how players perform on and around these greens if uh, if the conditions are going to dictate that players are struggling to uh, struggling to find greens in regulation. Um, I've gone with four players this week. Um, top of the list, and I, I guess you could make a case for a lot of these players at the top. I mean, Matt Wallace clearly could win this tournament, but how... How focused is he going to be? How much of a come down is it going to be to come and play this event after last week? Um, yeah, it's debatable because he's clearly he's again a very focused player, but um, he's also just won um, or gained temporary membership of the uh, PGA Tour courtesy of his efforts at uh, Bethpage. So you know he's he's going to be buzzing about all of those individual elements. He's also coming here straight on on the flight over. Defending champion media media are going to be all over him this week. So um, I've left him alone at the top of the market, and clearly he's well capable of uh, of producing the goods here. But um, I, the the first one that really caught my eye a little bit further down was Thomas Dietrich, and I've left him alone because this this just this little niggling niggling doubt about um, his health. He pulled out of the China Open with a a neck issue um, a few weeks back. Says it's okay. Did play the um, the British Masters and was good for a couple of rounds there before dropping away over the weekend. And um, I, I was sorely tempted with the with the Belgian um, at thirty three to one, but um, I reluctantly let him go. Um, so that made it's okay, Paul. I picked him up. <laughs> what, do, what do you two guys see in Dietrich then that made you so tempted to firstly back him, Paul, and Barry actually back him? It's, for me, he's been he's been he's got the right kind of game for this. I think his his good short game has been putting particularly well, and I think he's he's got that ability to to take a tournament like this down. He hasn't won on the European Tour yet. Um, he won his Challenge Tour event by twelve strokes, I think, back a couple of years ago. Um, clearly, won alongside um, Thomas Peters at the uh, the World Cup, World Cup of Golf. Very very capable. He will win a European Tour event, and he will won, win one relatively soon. Um, I just it, it was that I I I was very very close, very very close. So Barry's going to tell me that he's uh, he's fit as a fit as a fiddle, and that was a huge mistake, I expect. I could have had a small niggle in the neck. It might not have been anything huge, but he's always looked very comfortable to me on these kind of let's say Heathland, uh, faux links looking golf courses. Mm-hmm. Um. He's he's more than long enough to to deal with any you know length issues needed this week um, you know for into the wind holes so yeah and I I just I felt like a lot of the guys at the top of the market who were overplaying the U.S. Open will be mentally uh, beaten up after Bethpage yeah. yeah you know that that's that's a brutal four days to take on and. Yes, it'll feel like they've uh, the brakes have been taken off when they get to to Himmerland this week, but you know the, the I guess the, they'll be tired. I, I just figured they'll be tired after after um, Beth Page, and you know, so you, I can cast away those short prices and and have a look at um, at Dietrich. Yeah, know? he's got you know he's and he's and he's kind of you know he's performed. He's got a fourteenth and a seventh in this event the last two years. That's a good that's a good form line. So um, I was happy enough to take. I got him at thirty to one. So I'll take on, on the on the putting average um, scale, Paul Throttle on the predictor, he's top seven for putting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Statistically, I couldn't. The, the purely the only reason, and 
I guess you have to make these tough decisions at the point at which you're actually pulling the trigger. And um, yeah. I, I was staring at this withdrawn um, stat and I'd, I'd looked at his blog and to try and get a feel of what it was. And he'd, um, he had to take his personal trainer along with him and his, and, and his, uh, him and his coach were just checking that he was okay and were giving him treatment during the British Masters. And through that, throughout the four days, to make sure that he could play the four days without any, um, without any trouble, and he did play all four days, and um, he started off really well. I think he was in second place going into the weekend. But was there, um, you know, some kind of repercussion with it to shoot seventy three, seventy three over the weekend there and to drop away? And that was the niggling doubt again. You know, if if he'd have been fifty to one and with a couple of European Tour events and under his belt, I probably wouldn't have hesitated with it. But um, there was just enough of a doubt there to 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 put me off. Um, but yeah, I, he's got he's got a chance. You know, I, I, I can't dispute. These sounds like these sound like words of future regret. <laughs> <laughs> well, to visualize Dietrich is the Made in Denmark 2019 champion yeah. by the sounds of it. I might lump po- on myself yeah. just to, I've just uh, po- post-rationalised why why I didn't back him for next week's for next uh, yeah, week's podcast. I, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to say I'm not going to claim I have visions of him lifting the tro- the trophy like I did with Matsuyama last week. <laughs> that uh, that uh, th- those did not happen. <laughs> no, no. If, if if we could all do that, Barry, we'd be all, we'll be very rich. I think. Um, so yeah, I've I've left Dietrich alone. I've I've started my team at Benjamin Hebert, the Frenchman, who's um, fifty to one. I picked him up yesterday. There's a he's been nibbled away a little bit. There's forty fives left generally now, so um, you can still get a decent price on him. Um, he's won six times on the Challenge Tour, but yet to win on the uh, European Tour. Um, in China, a fortnight ago, he came the closest. Yet he lost out in a playoff to Mikko Kahonen. Um, and that was because he played so well on the Saturday, he produced a back nine of 28 on the Saturday. Um, his putting average, 1.62, was the best that he had achieved for 12 months. And um, although he missed the cut at Hillside the week after, I think, you know, you often get this with these players. They get so close to winning a tournament and to pick yourself up immediately the week after and contend again, there's very, very few of them who can do that. So I, I don't mind the fact that he missed the cut the week after. I don't really give him a little bit of extra time to to reflect on where he was um, and to, to get himself ready for this week's event. Clearly didn't play the PGA. And like you, Barry, I've, I've looked at the players who, who played the PGA and generally I think that they're going to be um, jaded in some shape or form and it will be very different conditions. It'll be very different uh, feeling and uh, clearly you've got to be able to get yourself up for the event um, instantly and uh, it, that's, that's not the easiest of tasks after a uh, after a flight back over to uh, to Denmark from New York as well. And um, the other thing with Heber is he has great form here at Himaland, fourteenth, thirteenth, and sixth from his three attempts. And uh, you couple that with the fact that he's getting closer and closer to winning, um, and clearly he's capable of getting over the line. Six Challenge Tour event victories is uh, is not to be sniffed at. Um, I think he's close enough to warrant a bet at fifty to one or thereabouts. Um, the next player on my list is Pablo Rathabel. Um, I got him at sixty-six to one with eight each way yesterday. There's a little you can get up to eighty to one right now. Um, some of the prices came out after I'd backed him, um, which is the danger of going early, I guess. Um, but um, I took him at sixty-six to one with eight each way with Boyle Sports. We've gone eight each way this week in 
Denmark and also in uh, in your event over in the States as well, Steve, I believe. Yeah. Um, I think Pablo's he's one of these emotional sorts, and I think he's, he'll be inspired by the Spanish um, wins recently on the on the LAT, LAT and also uh, Jorge Campillo's recent win and recent form as well. Um, he was waxing lyrical about uh, Pab, um, about uh, Jorge on his Twitter, and quite rightly so. And I think that might uh, act as a little shot in the arm to him. I mean, he's been showing some glimpses recently. Third in day one and after day one in India, seventh after day one in Morocco. His 66 to finish at Hillside was the joint best of the day at the British Masters. And his short game there, 7 for scrambling, 7 for putts per GIR, was very impressive. And that's ideal, I think, in a breezy Himalayan track this week. I think short game um, excellence and putting is going to come to the fore. So someone who's been trending in the right direction in those stats is... Is the right kind of fit for me. Um, he's very good in the wind. Um, the only thing he tends to struggle with is when there's a lot of wind and rain, but it looks like there might be the odd shower. Other than that, and particularly over the weekend, it looks like it's going to be sunny but breezy. And I think that, again, plays right into his hands in the style of game that he's got. Um, he's won twice in Germany, um, in nearby Germany, five further top tens, three top tens in his last five in Holland as well. So these kind of local countries to Denmark in terms of northern European conditions and grasses and style of golf courses etc there's a lot of correlation there with Pablo and um, so I quite fancied him at 66s and then a couple of three-figure chances to finish and um, to start George Coetzee now I've backed George a number of times in the past and I've probably said quite publicly I'm never going to back him ever again so I've broken my broken my promise this week. But gorgeous, I guess gorgeous George Coatsy. Yeah, I, he's your favourite player, Barry. And he like a bit of George Coates. Uh did yeah. I've had a, I think I've had a win on him uh, in times past, and then when you expect him to, when he telegraphs a win uh, or what you think is coming, he goes and misses a cut. Mm. So yeah, he he's. He he has uh, he's found a place on my X list, and uh, I'm not going to talk myself out of it. <laughs> he's backable at hundred to one, if, though. If isn't he? He, yeah, I, he, yeah. He, he he seems like a solid guy, and if he wins, I'll be like, fair play to you. He looks like he enjoys himself out there, um, but yeah, I won't be backing him. Hundred to one, I thought was worth the risk, and. Mm. Um, after six weeks after he missed the cut at Hillside in his last chance, and I to be, on his last out, and to be honest, I was close to picking him that week as well, um, and I, I didn't didn't pull the trigger and he missed the cut. So he's been pushed out to a hundred to one, and I think that's just about tipped the balance for me to to have a have a little have a little play with him. Um, during those six weeks that he had off, he got engaged. Um, he spent a lot of time fishing, really down tools. And uh, I don't think it was a surprise that he's, uh, he he missed the cut hillside. Um, but before that, his form was strong. He was second in Qatar, 17th in uh, Kenya, 6th in India, hitting lots of greens in regulation, which is good for him. And also his putting, which is his biggest asset, looked bang on form as well. So he's coming to a track this week. Um, with a lot of rest under his belt, but now the focus is back on. He has been back out practicing since Hillside. Um, he's been putting particularly well. Um, and if you're going to a track that is almost linksy in its feel in places and windy, 
then tracks that correlate with that that I can think off the top of my head, Qatar is one that would would correlate quite nicely, and his record in Qatar is absolutely outstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought a hundred to one. Why not give it give it a stab? I think. Um, Paul has he won outside of Africa? No, he's all well. Mauritius was the fourth one that, or the third of his fourth ones, uh, fourth win, third of his four wins, which um, was still uh, co-sanctioned with the Sunshine Tour at the time. So, um, you, you know, it wasn't on the South African mainland, but um, no, the other three were all on the uh, on the Sunshine Tour, co-sanctioned Sunshine Tour events at the Schwani Open um, or the South African Open, I think, from memory. But, uh, but yeah. I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to put doubt in your mind. Yeah, yeah. It's still, a 20 to one, <laughs> it's still 20 to 1 return on the place, though. We'll see. Yeah, I... <laughs> I love the way we've already talked him into a place. <laughs> when he finishes eighth... Yeah, ninth. When, yeah. When, when he's when he's three shots clear going into the final day and then shoots seventy seven to finish in a tie for ninth. Yeah, that that'll be the, that'll be the treat. And um, Ashton Wu is my final of the four, and I picked Wu back Wu at Hillside and he missed the cut. Um, and I'm sticking with him. He's been pushed out a few points because before that he was fifth at the China Open. He led at halfway sixty six sixty five. He got over the first couple of rounds there. His putting average was 1.60. And we've seen before, when he won in Holland at the back end of last year, it was um, he warmed up with that, with a, um, a cracking putting effort on his previous start. And that was my justification for backing him at Hillside, and it didn't happen. Um, but um, I think there's enough reason to think that he can go well here. Because again, if he's putting well, this kind of suits that style of play. Um, he's a three-time winner on the... On the um, European tour and it's one of these players that tends to get overlooked from a price perspective and that win in Holland there were some shared characteristics with this particular track and if you look at his form here he's played here once he was 23rd in 2017 and he was sixth going into the weekend that year and again that's very similar correlation to how he'd previously performed on that Dutch track um, at the back end of of last year There's, uh, there's just two or three little pointers to me that suggest that he could go well here this week and um, that 23 23rd place here in 2017 came off stroke play stroke play form of miscut 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 66th and then he um, was sixth into the weekend here so he took to the course very nicely from some very poor form back then um, and that fifth recently suggests that he's playing far far better than that right now so um, again, I thought that at the price he was worth taking on. So that's for my four: Ashen Wu, George Kotsaya, Pablo Larathabel, and Benjamin Heber for my four against the field. Any any of you guys fancy anything other than uh, other than the winner, Tom Steetry? Uh, I do. I like the Heber shout. Um, fan of his game. I don't know how somebody who's as um, who, who looks about as uh, built as a lollipop stick and hit the ball mm. so well. He's quite a skinny guy, but um, mm. I remember watching him up at uh, Port Stewart and uh, just liked the way he was managing his game yeah. around around the uh, the links kind of feel. So uh, it's a, it's a nice price at fifty to one for somebody who's playing well and had a near miss recently. So we yeah, and some decent uh, yeah, yeah, course form to boot as well. We followed him for a few holes, didn't we? With Wei yeah. Yang once. Where was that? Uh, that was in British Masters probably. somewhere. 
Yeah, oh, it, it might have been, been Wentworth. Could have been, yeah. Yeah, he's he's a tall chap, isn't he? But mm. they, yeah, they, they, he's not a Brooks Kepka in any shape or form. No, no, he's not been spending the same um, time down the gym by the looks of it. No, no, no. So they they're your two barrier, Benjamin Heber and also Thomas Dietrich. Yeah, I haven't. Um, I think Evior might go okay this week because I don't think he'll have been unduly stressed out by the by by Beth Page. So I've included him in. Um, I haven't backed him at, uh, you know, on a single, but I've included him in some cross doubles. Mm. I feel like it's a week for uh, the transatlantic double. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a backdoor top 10 wasn't it it wasn't it wasn't a contention contention and then dropping away top 10 so um, I just think that'll be a confidence builder yeah. for him more than anything um, look undoubtedly there will there might be some um, you know he might he might hit the wall come Sunday or, or Saturday you know but um, I was you know happy enough to throw him in there as I think uh, I like him a bit better at whatever eighteen to one than some of the other so, guys ahead of so him. So it's up to Paul and me to guess who's in your transatlantic double, yeah, on the other side of the pond. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, who do, you, who do you think, Paul? Ricky Fowler, I expect. I'd go Jordan Spieth. No. No. Neither. I've gone a little bit wild. I've gone for I've gone for Molinari. I think this is the kind of track that he can just plot his way around, and um, don't know why, don't no rhyme or reason. But Danny Lee popped out, kind of the form and course, you know, combo of recent form, course form, yeah. came into my head. Me. He Probably needs a little bit of rain to hit the round, course. Didn't he, last week, mm. six under yeah. shot, who's um, one of Kepka. Mm. And the third one, a long shot, is Jimmy Walker, who has a 10th and a 20th here, finished 23rd last week, has been showing some signs of life. So, uh, yeah. Well in Texas, home state. It, I only asked you for what was in your double, but thanks for giving us all your <laughs> tips. That was, that's, uh, that's very good. And that's yeah. the close of the podcast, uh, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> no, um, yes, I can see a lot of sense with Francesco. Absolutely. I can see. So Charles Fob Challenge, which I'm trying to remember what this tournament used to be called because it's gone through so many guises. It was the... Fort Worth International. Dean and DeLuca Invitational. Dean and DeLuca for your year, wasn't it? It was a Fort... Yeah. Crown, Crown Plaza. Crown yeah. Plaza, that's the one, Paul. The Crown Plaza Invitational, wasn't yeah. it, for many years? Mm-hmm. And now, of course, they've got Charles Svob on board. Charles Svob Challenge. But golf punters, golf followers will know this, basically, as Colonial Country Club, which is a very established golf course on the PGA Tour. Uh, a classical design, old-style golf course, tree-lined, plenty of dog legs, really thin fairways, tiny greens, 4,500 square feet on average. Um, it's a proper strategic shot-maker's golf course. Uh, two par fives, as you would expect, on a, uh, on a par 74 mat. The 11th is 635 yards, so that is going to be reachable to very very few uh, you've also got a 565 yard par 5 which I think is interesting or 
on the basis that it's the first hole on the golf course, which when you're entering the fray on a par five, I think is an interesting dynamic. You know what I mean? First, you know, especially if you're starting on the first, you're not starting on ten. Yeah, for, it, do, uh, it does put the pressure on to get off to a flying start, doesn't it? It does, and I clearly it'll be the easiest hole on the golf course. But it's like at Riviera because they open with par five there, don't they? Um, mm. Does put pressure on you from the outset. Um, it's a it's a completely different golf course to Shin- uh, to Shinnecock to uh, Beth Page Black, which we saw last week. I'm just you know, I'll run you through some numbers. Second is a 389 par four. Uh, we've got a 406 par four yard par four, the sixth, 440 the seventh, 407 the ninth again a par four. So you know these are these are these are less than driver um, holes in the main. The tenth is a 408 yard par four. Uh, we've also got a 430 par four. Um, on the back, the longest the longest four is a 464. So uh, some fairly tough par threes. But for me, and this follows the logic that Barry's gone with this, it feels to me like a Wentworth uh, on the European tour. It feels very much like a Italian Open kind of venue for me. Classical, tree-lined, thin, almost claustrophobic. A court, dog yeah, legs. dog legs. Lots of dog legs. Bent, and uh, worth mentioning to listeners, this is only the second pure bent grass green golf tournament that we've had so far in 2019 on the PGA Tour. The other one, of course, being uh, the Masters at Augusta National. So that needs to be borne in mind. Uh, Bermuda grass, fairways and rough, but pure bent grass greens. So it's an interesting... Oof. Fascinating mixture that. Uh, in terms of winners' profile around here, um, it tends to be a tournament that's um, won or dominated in terms of victory by big name players. Uh, Justin Rose won last year at twenty to one. Kevin Kisner at thirty threes. Jordan Spieth was seven to one favourite in twenty sixteen. Uh, 2015 was Chris Kirk, and you think oh, Chris Kirk, 35 to one. He, he he had been the 54 hole leader at the Players the week before. Uh, might not have been the week before; could have been a fortnight before. But anyway, Adam Scott 18 to one when he was world number one in 2014. That was the uh, Texas Triple Crown he completed that year. Boo Weekly's out on a limb at hundreds in 2013, but then Zach Zach Attack uh, 2012 16s, 2010 50 to one. David Tom's in between him at 33. So you're seeing there, if you just average through those uh, prices, 35 to 1 across the nine years, if we're looking at it in terms of since they went into this new um, split season uh, format, 23 to 1, the average winning price of this. Tends to suggest that a quality player gets the job done eventually around here. As per all classical courses in the main, uh, it can be one of an, a two varying ways. Uh, pure ball strikers like, like Justin Rose. Or we can go, we get short game specialists in the guise of Chris Kirk and Jordan Spieth in 16 and 15 who basically didn't hit many fairways, didn't hit many greens, but scrambled and putted phenomenally well. And that's you tend to get that across classical golf courses. It, they mm. can be one in a 
in in two very different ways just just the you know the format of the course and the way that classical courses tend to play so i looked at all of this i also looked at um the fact that a lot of winners here had previous experience of the course and a number of top 10s and my main bet i completely threw that all out of the window and plumped for francesco molinari but I think there's a reason behind that in terms of the fact that we know that he is a plotter. Um, he does get, uh, as you said, Barry, Francesco, or at the top of the show, was it? I don't know if it was Barry or Paul. Um, Beth Page in is was is kind of the antipathy to the way that he plays golf. Yeah, it's uh, not when, his he, when he when he as you said when he, when he was hitting any kind of rough, he had absolutely no chance of getting to the green. And no, no, de- and no desire to sort of attempt to make it either. It was just a strategic game plan to chop out and uh, and and go from there. I don't. Yeah, it's no option. But this, I think, this is going to be right in his wheelhouse. Dog legs, tight, claustrophobic, tree lined, a plotter, um, good enough to go very, very close at the Masters on bent grass greens a few weeks ago. Uh, no pressure this week, no real expectation coming in under the radar. Uh, course debut, so again, no expectation. The number, the the, the form that got me though, um, wasn't so much this year. Um, it was the form from last year, from May onwards, that grabbed my attention. If you remember that that run up to his major victory at the Open, first mm. at Wentworth, he then finished second in the Italian Open. He then won at TPC Potomac on pure bent grass greens just outside of Washington, D.C. At, Ju- at Tiger's old tournament and then was second at the John Deere Classic. And those courses all fit the bill in terms of, I think, relating very closely to Colonial. Is that kind of where you were coming from, Barry, with, with that pick? Also, you know, a nice, solid mid-pack finish last week. It was very, very uh, clear that actually his driving game and also his approach game was really actually very good last week. Mm. I think he was potentially yeah, just... difficult to confirm, but just looking at his proximity number, he jumped something like 50 spots this this uh, from last week, which would suggest that he was number one for proximity last week. Yeah, I, it's it's just not a last week was just not a course he was going to uh, compete on. He he might do a one one week in fifty when everything comes together and he's hitting like seventy five percent of fairways and but it just was never really going to happen. Um, so yeah, this feels like a much more uh, suited track to to his game and I, I yeah. I think those that the the comparisons he made to kind of that Wentworth Italian Open kind of feel for a golf course will um will really suit his eye mm-hmm. and uh, he'll feel a lot more comfortable uh, going after the course. The other course that jumped out at me was Shishan, believe it or not, set par seventy two, but it's only seven thousand two hundred yards there out in Shanghai. Mm-hmm. You look at Justin Rose; he's won there, also a third and a fifth. Kevin Kisner was runner up there. And Jordan Spieth's got a top seven finish at Shazan as well. And, of course, Francesco beat Lee Westwood where many years ago to, to win that HSBC tournament. Yeah, it's, it's not a it's not an atypical um, Chinese, you know, a long Chinese track, that. It is, it is more strategic. It's and, strategic, um, yeah. 
yeah, you can you can see some correlation there compared yeah. to a you know it's not a seven thousand seven hundred yard flat as a pancake Chinese track. So so yes, there's, there's some correlation, I think. I'll quickly buzz through my second tip, which is Paul Casey. <laughs> oh dear, Paul Casey at twenty-eight to one. Oh, Steve. So that's that's where I've gone for my second tip. But I I just I kind of think with Paul, this is his level of golf. I'd never tip him again at a major, but he's clearly playing some nice golf this year. I think twenty-eight to one is an acceptable price. Um, he is the sort that can just pop up high official world gold ranking. You look at what he's done this year. You know, he started the year very well out in um, uh, Singapore, second at Pebble, 25th at Riviera, first at Copperhead, fourth at Quail, third at the Mexico Championship. Yeah, he's playing some great stuff. Um, he just cannot get in his head mentally around majors. This isn't a major tournament. He's got a uh, a fifth here. He's got another top ten here in five attempts. Says he loves the course. So I could see him just popping up and going contending again this week at twenty eight to one, which I thought was acceptable. I then back that up with we were talking about the fact that this can actually be won by players who have got excellent short games and good scrambling games, and that brings me to two others. I think. Under the surface, I think Ches Reeve's playing some really nice golf at the moment. And when I'm seeing Ches Reeve finishing in the top 14 at Beth Page last week, and I'm also seeing him finish 12th at Quail Hollow in an outing before that, those are two huge long golf courses that are not Ches Reeve-esque in any way, shape or form. Bring him to a 7,200-yard par 70 where he's done well in the past, where he putts very well and scrambles very well. We know his game. Brilliant uh, in terms of it in fairways. Fantastic with a wedge in his hand. And we've just gone through a lot of the yardages here. It's going to be a wedge golf course, second shot golf course. I could just see Reavy being the sort that just pops up and contends this week. And actually... You know, I'm sure that we were seeing him at 30 and 33 to 1 earlier this season. Uh, and look at some of his results recently. Third at YLI this year, second and fourth at Scott in Scottsdale the last two years, second at Pebble Beach, fourth and sixth at Southwind, fourth at El Chameleon. He actually gets in position and hangs around when he gets in contention now at this stage of his career. I just thought 66 to 1 with Bet Fred, seven places each way of 50 odds, was an excellent price for Chesarevi, who um, is clearly doing something right right now on golf courses that do not suit him in any way, shape or form. That was his uh, second best ever major championship finish last week, uh, 14th at Beth Page Blank. Well, I think that the stat that jumped out to me about him last week was that he led the field for putts per round. Yeah. You know, if if there's one part of his game that lets him down, it's his putting. But he was sixth putting average and first mm-hmm. for putts per round. You know, that also tells you that he didn't hit as many greens in regulation as he would have liked to. Um, no, he didn't. Uh, That's true. He was very. I think he was like in the hundreds for greens in regulation. Still finished fourteenth. So that shows you how good his short game was. Mm. But on the outing before, he was in the top seven for greens in regulation. Somewhere at like Quail Hollow, which is seven thousand five hundred yards. Oh yeah, yeah. 
So clearly that that week, his long irons and approach play must have been absolutely bob on. So if he can mix the two together and get a blend this week, I could see Chez having a very, very strong week. Yeah. The other one, again at 66-1, to 1, my old friend Bran Schnedeker, who is showing signs beneath the surface that his game's coming around. I've got a point each way, 66-1. to 1. Again, seven place each way, this time with Coral. Uh, in the top 50 in the world... I think of of those last uh, t- uh, nine winners, eight of them have been in the top, were ranked in the top fifty in the world, and he was just the one at the biggest price. But he was he shot sixty seven on Friday at at uh, Bethpage and sixty nine in the worst of the wind on Sunday. And as we know, um, he's a great wind player, and I'm I'm seeing this week uh, mid range kind of wind twenty to twenty five. For three of the weeks, uh, days rather, and Thursday could be gusting up to thirty. Yeah. And I just thought Snedeker, who's oh, he owes me nothing over the years, the times I've had winners with him. But you just look at where he plays well: classical courses, a Pebble Beach kind of guy. Um, we know that we uh, we landed with him at Sedgefield Country Club last year. Uh, he just seems to the work that he's doing with Todd Anderson in terms of trying to find more greens, trying to find better approach play and finding more fairways definitely seems to be moving in the right direction. And if mm. he can if he can marry a performance together with his undoubted brilliant putting, um, I could see him going extremely close. Just before I move on to you two, I did some analysis as well of post-major tournaments on the PGA Tour going back to 2010. Okay. And... I'm only seeing Matt Kuchar at the RBC Heritage in 2014 and Jason Day at the RBC Canadian Open in 2015, who finished in the top five the preceding week at the major and went on to win the week after. So that kind of tells you so that, that, you know... It takes it out of you. a hell of a lot out of you, doesn't it? Mm. What I am seeing are a lot of players that did not play in the major... Or missed the cut at the major. Because I did, I did take a look. I mean, you would take a look at Spieth because he definitely showed some real signs. But clearly, the bookmakers saw exactly what we saw last week, and all of a sudden, he's back down into the land of fourteen to one. Yeah, and I can't be taking Jordan Spieth at fourteen to one at the moment. No, it was he did he did show some. Good improvement in form, and so that does bode well for him for the rest of the season. It does. Yeah. It's coming, isn't it? Mm. Do you know what he 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 could be a real factor at uh, the U.S. Open? I think. Yeah, yeah. There were a few swings last week that looked really solid. Mm. Ball went exactly where he, he wanted, would've. and uh, if he just starts tie, you know, tie, you know, getting more and more of those in, and you know. Having less and less of the, uh, the doubles, the, the doubles ones. are starting to disappear a little bit, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. It seems it seems like things are starting to tighten in a little bit um, in all as- in, in the long game. And but the but the putting performance last week that's going to really uh, that might just turbocharge him along the path and, and get things kind of coming together pretty quickly. And yeah, Pebble could be the kind of place where. It could be. Yeah. You could see. You could see a. Re, you could see a high-performing Jordan Spieth going very well at Pebble. You got it. Whether he, whether he gets to that stage of his game, but within the next four weeks, uh, I guess we'll find. Yeah, out. it'd be fascinating to see what his schedule is. He won't play the RBC because he never does. Never plays in Canada. 
whether he doubles up and plays this week and then next week at Muirfield so that we actually get a real view of where it's going. That'll be the interesting. But, you know, I'm struggling to back defending champion Rose at 11s, Rahm at 12s. Ricky Fowler, love him. You know, his stats stack up every single week, wherever, whatever golf course. But 14 to 1 for Ricky, just, I just can't. Um, I couldn't touch Jordan at 14s. And as we know with Xander, again, he could fly this week. It's his kind of golf course. It's a fairly big tournament, but he just doesn't seem to do it in kind of run-of-the-mill PGA Tour domestic fair tournaments. Doesn't excite him, does it? No, so it, it doesn't. Doesn't. So that took me to... Fr- it was interesting with Xander, one of his interviews, um, I think it was after round three last week, read it, um, and he said, look, I'm struggling, I'm really struggling this week because I know I haven't got a cat and L's chance of winning this because Brooks is so far ahead. Mm. And I, even though I'm in the top seven or eight, I, I'm, it's just not getting my juices flowing. And that just kind of, that's a, just a look into his mentality, isn't it? Shame he didn't finish in the top seven or eight. It made me a few quid. Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, I, I think that's something he could, that could, you know, if he can adjust that attitude and keep fighting a bit more rather than letting it, you know, just letting it go. You never know. He become that little bit tougher. I mean, right now for me, he's Kepka light because, you know, he hasn't won a major. So, um, but he seems to have that similar approach that Kepka does to majors being the only thing. Um, but there's something, obviously there's something still missing from in there mm. to, to, to get the win. Uh, maybe the fact that he's, you know, he's trying to beat Brooks Kepka, who's on this ridiculous run of form the last few majors. So yeah, it's, I, I don't, I think, I think Xander's just one you just leave alone for regular events. Yep. But then do you back him at 20, whatever to one he is for the, the majors? Well, this is it. Yeah, we said about Brooks Kepka and Xander being auto bets in majors. It's now getting to the stage where you, you know, clearly the six to one on Kepka, that to me isn't an auto bet. And Xander's getting cut, Mm-mm. isn't he? Severely in majors now for, for right reasons. The other one will be exactly in the same, but will be Patrick Cantlay after his second consecutive major yeah. top, top eight finish. I mean, he was third or fourth, wasn't he, last week? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was he ninth in the Masters? Yeah, because yeah, I, I need yeah. him top eight, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, so he's another one that's going to, you're going to start to see the odds cut badly out of him. Who are you guys on this week? Clearly, Barry, you've told us. So, Paul, yeah, don't, tell I, me, don't tell me Jim Furyk, please. No, no, I've, I've left Jim alone. Are we off the Jimbo train? <laughs> for the time being, yeah. yeah. I agree with Barry. I've gone with Danny Lee. Um, I thought the form that he showed last week, particularly at the start of the event, was really impressive. And at 100 to 1, I thought he was worth taking on. Mm. And that 64 in round one was on the wrong side of the draw as well. So he, um, I think that that's, um, the late early side of the draw was over two shots worse than the early lates. So for him to do what he did in round one. And he was still 14th going into the final day. So he, he didn't collapse completely. Um, and the final day, you know, all of those late starters struggled and he shot 77 from 14th position. So, you know, I, I can't hold that against him, I don't think. Um, and for hundreds of one for a player that did show some decent form up until that point, I think is worth taking. Seventh in Texas at the Texas Open in April, um, 68 in round one, 66 in round three. Event form, which Barry alluded to, 38, 10th, 
22nd, 6th and 14th. And that's, that 6th was in 2017 where he was second going into the final day and he and Webb Simpson went out and dragged each other down and uh, neither of them got the job done. And Kevin Kisner, I think it was, who came through to win that week. But, um, okay, but yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, he's come close in this event before. He's got some great record, a great record in Texas. Full stop. He won the WNB Golf Classic on the Challenge to or the um, Web dot com tour in twenty eleven. Second in twenty twelve. Seventh in twenty thirteen. On the same event, fifth at the Byron Nelson in twenty seventeen. Mentioned the Texas Open earlier. He likes it soft. He likes a bit of wind. He likes a bit of bent. I think there's a lot to like about Danny Lee. Hundreds of one, I must say. Yeah. Um, and the other one, I have backed um, Schnellica as well. I do agree with your um, opinion and your summary of his chances this week. The other one I've backed is Jason Duffner at 125 to 1, who showed a bit of form at the Wells Fargo. He um, fourth, yeah, he was fourth at Quail, wasn't he? So, um, so yeah, that, that's a. He does, yeah. He's got a couple of runners-up finishes here at Colonial over the years. Um, he's won in Texas before, he won the Byron Nelson in 2012. And um, a quail, his long game looked really good. I mean, he's been erratic, and the reason you get an 125 to 1 is, he's, you know, he's missed an awful lot of cuts over the last few weeks and months. But um, that fourth at quail did um, pique my interest a little, I must say. And given his course form and Texas form full stop, he can play wind as well, as we know. He's a decent wind player. So, um, again, something to uh, take a chance on at a 3 three. Digits price, in my view. You do get quite a few winners, you know, who didn't play in the um, who didn't play in the major, um, and played well in the tournament beforehand. So, like Carl Peterson, our buddy Carl Peterson, he mm. won the Heritage in 2012, and he finished second at Houston. So people forget about the second because there was a Masters in the middle. He yep. then goes on and wins that. That's happened on a few occasions. It's like uh, the RBC's one, been won by Scott Pearce, who was third at the JDC, the outing before. And uh, we've got Johnny Vegas, who finished fourth in the Barbasol the week before he won that. That kind of pushed me potentially in the direction of one Matt Every. Mm. I'm wondering if Every can keep this momentum going, because he is playing some absolutely fantastic golf right now. And there's 150, 150 to 1 hanging out there at the moment. And he's finished in the top 10 at Colonial in the past. So that might be another name just to mull over. Matt Everick. I think that's a big price for someone that clearly finished second two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Paul's trying to hold himself back. You know he's on him. Well, he'll be on his first round leader. So. Logging into all of his bookmaker I thought, I, I thought I'd amp you up, emptying Paul. them. I thought I'd amp you up. Just I, I, I don't tend. I don't tend to back him outright, Steve. I, I, he is a he is a first round leader. All I bet for me most weeks, mm. but uh, but yes, um, he has been playing well. I, I must say, he's he's been catching the attention of uh, of me quite a few times. So, one player yeah. I think is going to start percolating again, who who we were all over like a rash for periods of last year is our what the Wunderkind, Yoking Neiman. And he has been dreadful all year. But we made this view, took this view, and made notes on it last year. He is only good on bent grass greens. And we're now getting to a stretch of the season where he could start to get a little bit of confidence going with that putter again. Mm. Now, that might not happen this week because his game is in a real slump. But at some point, 
on some bent grass golf course, he is going to hit his straps and he's going to fly out the traps. And this 125 to 1, 150 to 1 week price point we're seeing this week will be slashed by two thirds and he'll be into 50 to 1, 40 to 1 again. Yeah. So I might start going down the track of putting him in as an auto bet for the next few outings and just trying to stick loyal to that and including him because at some point he will pop. Yeah, you should get a decent price on him when he does. Mm, exactly. Right, okay. I'm just making a note of that so that I don't actually forget to do it. <laughs> right, I think that's it, chaps, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. Best luck, guys. Hopefully a, um, another winning week for one of us this week. Absolutely. Thank you for your time, Barry. Much yeah, good luck, everybody. Much appreciated. And um, thank you to you, Paul. We will be back again next week for the Golf Betting System podcast. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.